I couldn't even get it out with a straight face. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> this was lockdown one. Lockdown one. Not lockdown two. Long time ago. Long, long time Shot. ago. Long time ago. Long time ago. <laughs> and it didn't happen. Shout, shout out to... Uh... <laughs> Nothing happened. Shout out to our number one fan, Heather, Heather Thompson. <laughs> it's all joke, isn't it? Yo, what's the next topic, man? <laughs> Move! It's December, Black in a Box is back again. And we are down a member, but we've got Alana. Hello. We've got Dom. Yes, yes. And we've got Angelo. Hey, hey, hey. All in the house, and we've got a lot to talk about. We're going to get straight to it. Let's start on an upbeat note. Let's say it's been a crazy year. What are some things you've loved this year that if you'd have told yourself in 2019 that you were going to be enjoying, enjoying these things in that way, you'd have told yourself to shut up? Um, I'm going to open that up to Angelo first. So it was something that I enjoyed for about 10 days. Uh, you remember, <laughs> remember when everybody was like, bruv, you got to get house party. House parties, you can play you can play hangman. Like you can do drawing games. It, honestly, it's brilliant. And we had it for like 10 days. And then it was like, do you know what? I don't really want to hang out with people like that. But for one thing that 2020 has taught me is that actually... If something can get you through 10 days, it, it has a value. It has a purpose. So for those 10, if you'd have said to me, oh, Angela, you're going to be really into house party uh, in 2020, I'd be like, I'm not really a house party kind of guy. And then if they'd explain what it was, I'd be like, I'm definitely not that. If they hadn't ever given me any context. But yeah, hold tight, hold tight. Uh, I don't think it's even finished, but nobody uses it now. But hold tight house party for the 10 days in which we were all on it. The Russians were hacking everyone, weren't they? Yeah. I think that's why it stopped. Right. <laughs> Bro, that was even. How mad was that? How mad was that? Because it actually it blew up and it was everywhere, and then everyone's like, "Oh, they're gonna make so much money." But then it emerged that um, was it the makers of Fortnite had bought it like six months previous. Really? Yeah. So I think it was Fortnite or one of those games owned it, and then not long after, yeah, those rumors came out and everyone was gone. <laughs> the power of social media to destroy anything is amazing. which is so funny because you didn't get that with TikTok. <laughs> yeah, it's but if you'd have said that about TikTok, you'd have come up missing. Come on. <laughs> but they did say that. They were supposed to be, you know, it was the Chinese virus this year and the Chinese app stealing everyone's data. <laughs> I think some of it lies in, though. It lies in the age of the people, the, the cohort of the people yeah. using the app. So uh, House Party was very much, an, it was, everyone was on it. Like, your, your mom was on it. Like, mm. Whereas TikTok's very much a young person's thing. You're not going to get 14-year-olds with that chat. No yeah. way. <laughs> can we also, can we also, because, and this, I don't think we've got the energy to talk about um, COVID, but with the vaccine and people being like, oh, you know, um, all these conspiracy theorists and they're going to use it to track you. And it's like, MF, you have a phone. You're, you're communicating this <laughs> through a phone. Your phone can tell you your body temperature. It can tell you the last time you went to the toilet. It can tell you what your diet is like. And you're all worried about the possibility of a threat of someone tracking you. Yeah, yeah but I turn my location off. Yeah, because that helps. Come on now. <laughs> these, these are the type of guys that check in at the afters. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> I'm, 
I've become so well so well trained that I I like I've become militant. As for a man as careless I am, I've become militant about not even not tweeting on weekends. Yeah. Just because one of these days you're gonna I'm gonna catch myself slipping. <laughs> they use the worst one for that, and it's not here today. It's Nate. When Nate's had a one drink, a one drink on a Friday night in Newcastle, and he starts feeling himself. You miss a meeting with me. Who's calling everyone? <laughs> he takes no prisoners, man. So many times, Saturday morning, I've been like, big oh. night last night. He's like, yeah. <laughs> Yo, net delete this, man. Oh. Spicing up the feed, though. Um, Alana. Yeah, my 2020 saving grace is I've just fully embraced my the 80-year-old that's always existed in me. I love me some Sudoku. I love me some puzzles. <laughs> I got a few plant babies. I got a few plant grandbabies now yep, at yep. this point, and I've just fully gotten into like my sipping my brandy and doing my Sudoku <laughs> morning to night. Love it. Wow. Um, well, it's not strictly true. You are the only person, and 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 your partner, and some of your friends that I've seen floating down Ooh, the canal. Yeah. Oh yeah. On more than one occasion, enjoying a bottle or two of wine. Yeah, the the SS Dunbar. Yeah, playing the tunes, sledding down the canal, drinking some wine spritzers. <laughs> Loved it, vibesy. But the vibes-y. funny thing is, as great as those vibes were, I still stand by the Sudoku more. That gives me a, a joy I can't even describe. That's East Londoners for you. They do anything to make anything trendy. A Sudoku is not ever going to become trendy. Alana. No, <laughs> I'm not trying to make it happen. That's just me. That's my joy. Do you live in Hackney? I do. <laughs> I'm surprised I've not seen you down that board game cafe. That's, that's up your way, isn't it? Oh, no. It is. oh, Hustling people at Sudoku in the back room. <laughs> <laughs> Playing Sudoku like dominoes. <laughs> slamming that fender. Can I just say the northern way that you guys are pronouncing Sudoku is sending me... Sudoku. 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 I'm just imagining Alana as like sort of a female Spice Adams, but with Sudoku instead of <laughs> instead of dice. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess for me, I got again. This is like Angela. It's, it was such a short-lived thing, and I got really into sort of the chaos of Bongo's Bingo for two weekends and I wouldn't stop talking about it. I was telling everyone for two weeks, yeah. like, you've got to play this game. It was absolute chaos. It reminded me of um, like sort of the cross between The Big Breakfast and uh, what was that thing on, on Channel 4 on a Friday night? But it was like, it was really, it had this sort of really unplanned, yeah. like, greasy, chaotic 90s energy. TFI. Yeah, TFI Friday, yes. and it's like a sort of live, it had that sort of same, like, just chaotic, greasy, WKD energy to it, and I was like, <laughs> this is unbelievable, and I think in, in, in the first lockdown, when so much was sort of uncertain, and it was like, it was everything was so regimented, and so kind of set and boring like the chaos of that for like a couple of weeks which i just really enjoyed also the first time i did it i was so waved it's the first time we got like truly truly drunk during, during <laughs> lockdown and uh yeah so for two weeks i was like this is fantastic and then i think after the, on the third time i played it I, I started the game sober and i think we lasted about 20 minutes for like oh, this <laughs> this is done out here um don what about you there was a few things 
I never quite realised how much I'd enjoyed just a one two man rave in a living room. Defected Fridays. <laughs> Defected yeah. Fridays gave me oh, life. Yeah. Gave me <laughs> life in that first lockdown. But the real MVPs for me and they both involve me wearing tightly fitted clothes, which should not be a thing. Like Lycra is not for big man like me. But cycling and yoga. I can't yeah. believe it. Both of which I have kind of flirted with the idea of in the past but you thought you know what i've got nothing better to do this year and both of them like yoga's a more recent one but cycling i was out there doing doing up chris what is it chris hoy every week man every single week it was mad um so i think yeah cycling and it's not even a fad i'm still doing it in the cold i bought some gloves the other day cycling was cycling's the the, the lifesaver for me this year and 2019 don would have never bought into that if nate was here i would um edit it so that he'd be like, I'm so proud of you. And then I cut in the uh, ether lyric, you know, where Nas is like, and now I <laughs> smile like a proud dad. Look at his only son that made it. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely does up like her better than I can. It, it looks ridiculous. I know how <laughs> stupid it looks when I'm wearing it. I look like a has-been has wrestler. It's shocking. Mark Henry. Mark Henry is what I look like when I'm in my shit. It's disgusting. There will be no slander on that man's name. Uh, How's any slander? I'm likening him to myself. He's not. He's not washed. He like he would still squeeze you like a grape right now. He also has the greatest wrestling music of all time. What was his music? Uh, wasn't it like Three Six Mafia? <laughs> I have no idea, man. My man, wasn't three, that? three Six Mafia is his uh, is his theme music. From the highs of 2020 to 2020 <laughs> <laughs> in all of its glory to the rest of 2020 absolutely the football the football and i want to talk to you guys about millwall now obviously because of 2020 because of George Floyd and because of Beyonce Taylor and the litany of, of black bodies piling up at the hands of police in America um, during this obviously during the spring into summer there was a lot of protests and uprisings which spread as far as the UK statues started coming down listen to our previous pods to now they're kneeling and they're kneeling before every Premier League game. It's it's mandatory in the Premiership. I don't believe it's mandatory everywhere else, but they've been kneeling for games. It showed sign of solidarity with Black Lives Matter. Turn out. At Millwall's game at the weekend, fans were allowed in for the first time. It was 2,000. It was capped at, obviously because of COVID. And when both teams need, uh, the, <laughs> the Millwall home fans booed. And... It's obviously t Twitter, social media was ablaze. Everybody had their opinion. And the argument, as it seems to be now, is that Black Lives Matter is a political organisation. They're Marxists. Marxists are evil. And that's why we are booing, not because we are rampant racists. Um, Wasn't this the least surprising thing that's happened all 2020? <laughs> <laughs> if I said to you, if I said, right, I've got a gun to your family's head, and, and for you to survive, you've got to guess which football team has been wrecked. Millwall, yes, it is Millwall. You survived. You don't want. You didn't even want to kind of guess like West. No, Millwall. Yeah, yeah, it was Millwall. Definitely Millwall. It's yeah. It, it was absolutely, absolutely unsurprising. And it's unsurprising that it was Millwall. It's unsurprising that it happened at football. And 
it's unsurprising sort of the arguments that are used and the way it's kind of unfolded. Um, it's this is sort of kneeling all over, and it's going to be interesting because there's quite a few different ways to look at it. I'll just open up now by saying sort of, for me, kneeling is this kind of ever-evolving straw man in the eyes of racists and those unwilling to face the discomfort of recognising their own white privileges afforded them in their life. Mm-hmm. And the you know the latest guys is Black Lives Matter is it's you know and it makes it an easy target for them. Fully capitalised because racists can hear in capital letters. <laughs> rather than Black Lives Matter, the statement which nobody seemingly disagrees with. Now, if you go all the way back to Kaepernick, where the kneeling started in 2016, well, not kneeling started, people have been kneeling as long as they've had knees, where the kneeling <laughs> against... People don't talk about the, that enough, Dan. People, people forget that. People forget that. Honestly, Kaepernick taking credit for this. Ugh, Honestly. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Kaepernick was the one who began kneeling in, in, in its most recent form against police brutality and, and, and the, way, uh, the mistreatment of black people. And he was actually started, he refused to stand, he was told by a veteran that he should kneel because that refusing to stand is disrespectful, so he did. And then the mainstream says, this is disrespectful to the flag, to all the people that are dying for it. And they were like, he was like, no, it wasn't actually, this is who told me to do it. And this is yet another example of people just sort of playing the man, not the ball. They, they've got no interest in in tackling the issue or addressing the issue. And this was again shown in the UK when Ash Starker got on TV and she gave Richard Tice a dressing down from Leave UK when she said the current framing exists solely to move the chat away from equality and the plight of black people. So I think we'll... we'll pass on the, the, the bat on there. Um, yeah, so there's something I wanted to say, because I knew you were going to mention um, Ash Sarkar, because, believe it or not, uh, listeners, we do actually plan this shit. And the fact that Richard Tice was on the TV speaks to the larger problem that we have. What I mean by that is that there are certain um, extreme views that have been mainlined. I remember there was, I think it was 2014 or 2013, there was a question time that Russell Brand and Nigel Farage were on. And uh, Russell Brand, this was back in the time where basically Nigel Farage and his party, they were really only in the conscious national consciousness because the BBC kept platforming him. And Russell Brand, who I've had a lot of, not personally because I don't know the man, but I've disagreed with a lot of what he said. He described him is a pound shop Enoch Powell. He said, you, you think he's um, uh, a joke, but he's not. He's, he's nasty and you've got to watch him. And this is back when Nigel Farage was trying, still doing that kind of, I'm, I'm your avuncular kind of, you know, almost granddad with some old school views and I was alive during the war kind of shtick before it kind of went full, full authoritarian, full Mussolini kind of way that he's gone. Mike Tice has been had his metaphorical pants pulled down in a number of interviews. I've seen Mehdi Hassan do exactly the same to him. He used to do a show uh, for Al Jazeera, and Mike Tice came on, and he just made he highlighted the idiot that he was. But he's an acceptable idiot who is who who's got um, what I would say are very extreme ideas, but those extreme ideas pass the dinner table test. Black Lives Matter was always going to be undermined because 
the phrasing and the um what it was the fact that it was black started and black owned has always been dangerous and you can go back through history in any part of a western world where black people or, or just look at the continent of africa where black people have taken something and not needed patronage it's then been destroyed so because obviously then a couple of days later uh, and this will give you time when we've recorded this, listeners. Um, Millwall and QPR decided to stand arm in arm for racism. But there was that beautiful moment where QPR scored and then they took a knee. The problem isn't QPR and Millwall as a, as clubs deciding that they're not going to take a knee. The problem is, is that at very high levels, there was clearly a plan to discredit this, to make it so that the idea of supporting black people was in and of itself a political stance that you could take and that's the danger so i don't have an issue with millwall as a club kind of saying we're not going to take the knee because it has become political and that's bigger than them to tell you the first thing that needs to happen right i dare any of you to type in black lives matter on whatsapp right now and watch what happens to it Apple need to turn that shit off being auto-capitalised because I'm sick of people thinking and mentioning the political group and the political party rather than the ideology that black lives and black people do matter. It's crazy. I've never seen something co-opted just so successfully in such a short amount of time. Okay, so Dom, let's dig into this. How does a phrase like Black Lives Matter become corrupted? What's the levers? How does it happen? Because I want to kind of... Let's be better than just saying, you know, global conspiracy. Let's kind of, how does it change? I'll open it up to all of you, because how does something as simple as saying the value of life matter become a political thing? How does it become undermined? Well, it's just, it's the code switching, right? Because really the message is right in the name, Black Lives Matter. Matter. That is what the message is. It's just saying, hey, we as black people have been feeling like our lives don't matter. And we kind of talked about this in the last episode when we talked about that report that was released saying categorically black people feel like in the UK, their lives do not matter and they're not treated equally. And I, I, th- I, see, I see the code switching happening. I see it happening gradually and it just seems like it's happening quicker now. But it starts with, Black Lives Matter, and then, you know, All Lives, lives matter, matter, and then this is... <laughs> and then it's, yeah, Black Lives Matter is a political group, and then, oh, because of the rioting and the protesting, they're an extremist group. It's just, it's nitpicking away at aspects of the movement, and it's changing it into something else in, in the narrative. Obviously, this is all done through the media, I don't think people come up with this idea, but... So you've said the media, and but that then you've described the media as some sort of kind of big monolith. What are the specific steps that get taken? I'll give you an example, okay? Something that happened a couple of days ago. Um, Ob- Barack Obama has been on a, 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 to- a media blitz for his uh, new book, yeah? And he had this critique of the left where he said, you know, when you say stuff like defund the police, that's when you lose a lot of people. And I, and then Kehinde Andrews, <laughs> Kehinde Andrews got out the corn and was just like, "Look, he is the White House Negro, and he made that he wasn't corn. That was he just ooh, it was uncomfortable reading." <laughs> <laughs> 
Why was it? Un- well, no, we'll get, we'll get, we'll get, we'll, I don't want to get off topic. I don't want to get off topic. But my point is, is that when someone like Barack Obama says that, I feel like it legitimizes um, some of the bad faith attacks because actually defund the police really simply for those listeners that are like, well, you know, what do people mean by that? If you look at a police budget, what you consider policing makes up less than 10% of it. In This is particularly in the United States. The police do mental health. They do drug treatment. They do um, uh, domestic... I don't want to say they do domestic abuse, even though they do do domestic abuse, but they look after victims of domestic abuse. There is stuff way outside the remit of the police. And when they say defund the police, it's saying... Let's repurpose that money, give it to specialists, give it to drug treatment specialists. So when, but, but my point is, when Barack Obama comes in and says, you see these people on the left, this nefarious left that's always being demonized, say stuff like this, this is how you lose the argument. But that serves to delegitimize Black Lives Matter. I agree with you. And I think this is sort of loosely linked to what we saw last night. So just to tie more, yet another cake layer onto this. In the PSG Champions League match last night, PSG were playing Istanbul. Bishak Shahir. There you go. Thank you, my translator. Domeni knows that because he goes to Turkish barbers. <laughs> and hair transplants. <laughs> yeah, so last night, and the, the game was stopped because the fourth official was accused of, of racially abusing the assistant coach of the Istanbul side. Uh, and the game was stopped. It never got restarted. And there was a, a lot of sort of heat in the situation on social media after the game um, not on social media, on, after the game in the studio Mika Richards, black footballer, he's for Man City and he does a lot of coverage on Sky but he wasn't working on Sky on this occasion he was basically asked about his view on the matter and uh, essentially what he then set about doing was what he's done a number of times is he basically uh, tried to almost mitigate like the guilty act and the sort of mens rea and the, and the intention of the fourth official although he did he said oh I wasn't there but and then he then said but I wouldn't have been offended if he'd have called me about that which again kind of contradicted what he was saying and then the, the what he didn't realise there at the time when he said that is what he was doing was in effect legitimising was legitimising racists because you go onto social media now and you go into the video of him saying that and you search on the quote tweets and what you see is exactly, exactly. Mika Richards is spot on. So this is it, Dan, and this is what I was trying like I was trying to angle at. And the the problem is, is that we as people do not like to feel uncomfortable. We do not like to feel like we're ignorant. We do not like to feel that we might have prejudices. And uh, just before we came on, I was talking to uh, Dan about rugby and I was saying how when uh, women's rugby really started getting promoted, I kind of was very much in the camp of, oh God, it's kind of amateurs and it's, you know, it's not the same. And, you know, these really antiquated views. Fast forward to a couple of weeks ago, England are play, England women are playing uh, France women's rugby team and Ireland were playing somebody in the Autumn Nations Cup. And I had free choice of which to watch. And I watched the England women's rugby because I was like, it's going to be a better spectacle. There will be running, there will be passing. And I don't, I'm not guaranteed that in the men's game. The reason I bring that up is because what you see with 
Black Lives Matter. What you see when you say time's up, what you see when you say me too, is that it forces people mm-hmm. to confront their own ignorance. It force, And we should all, and we need to stop stigmatizing people that are learning, that are genuinely learning. I've gone on lots of learning journeys over the last five years. Um, I've learned a lot about the LGBTQ plus community. I've learned a lot about different black communities, how we're not homogenous. And especially with that second one, I've had to do a lot of learning and I am black. But nobody has shamed me for it. But... I think that what happens is, is you get this thing, Black Lives Matter, and what did we talk about over the summer? Our friends coming to us saying, Dom, is this really what's been happening to you? Dan, is this really what's been happening to you? Alana, how do you, is this, is this stuff that you can understand and feel? And we're kind of giving, a, um, you know, a, a friendly ear, but how many people don't have a Dom, a Dan, and Alana, and Angelo, and Nate in their lives and feel attacked? So what do you do when you feel attacked? You go to somebody or something that tells you, it's not you. You're okay to feel the way that you do. And so because people then reach for that, what you're left with is, Black Lives Matter is a Marxist organisation. I'm okay to feel the way that I feel. I do feel uncomfortable when there are some blacks around me. Maybe Mark Duggan did do something wrong. Maybe George Floyd did do something wrong. And we're not willing to do the learning because we'd rather feel good about ourselves than do the hard work of learning. But I think, well, I agree, but I would also add to that that I do think it's compounded by messages that you see repeated within the media by some outlets. Something that came to mind was after the attack on the Twin Towers in the USA, all you could see on every news channel was images of Muslims and the word terrorist, 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 like terror. It just... So even if you were somebody who didn't want to be ignorant, who wanted to be understanding, you have these messages going into your brain, reinforcing a certain idea of what a certain group is. And then we as humans, we're so simplistic. We just we just categorize things as how we see them. So if you're seeing Black Lives Matter, extremist group, political, if you're seeing those words, it, it gets implanted into your brain. Yeah, and on top of that, I think it serves... A purpose division serves a purpose to the political elite basically Absolutely. because as long as we can have liberals versus fascists saying that all lives matter or black lives matter and we don't realize that we're actually fighting the same battle in that we're all broke that we're all disadvantaged and that we all have one group of people that are above us and many groups of people that are above us, if that happens, then politics and society as we know it ends. So there needs to be division. Again, Dom, just to, again, fill in the blanks, you use this kind of phrase, political elites. We talked in last week's pod about how the EHRC or EHCR released the report that says that black people in this country are feeling a certain kind of way and then the next day, literally the next day, they hire uh, the, uh, the, the head of the of that group that is appointed is a man that says that um, racism is statistically, did he say statistically irrelevant or that it, it's not a big deal? So you get this gaslighting. So when we say political elites, that's how you flex it as a political elite. You kind of release this report that says, yeah, black people are kind of suffering in the UK, but we're going to hire somebody that's a race skeptic. 
or there's this race thing, there's something that's happened that is racial or racialized. but don't worry, we've got Kemi Badenoch to say it's not that bad. We've got John Barnes to say it's not that bad. We've got Kwasi Kwarteng to say it's not that bad. That's how it happens. So when we say elites, elites gives it too much cover. This is how the government does it. This is how companies do it. We're going to go on and talk about um, caramel, caramel ads. You know, we can put black people in front of the camera and pay those couple of individuals while maintaining a system that sees those same black people not being able to advance in companies. That's how it is. So when we, it's not, because the thing is, we kind of use these terms, and especially at this time when we've got all of this, um, uh, all of these conspiracy theories, people use terms like shadowy, the, the elites, and da da da. It's like, no, this is how it happens on a, on a step by step level. The Sorry. government is basically an abusive husband who gives his wife a hug after he slapped her up. That's all it is. That's all it is. Damn. We, we, we're getting quite deep into this now, I think. We also need to take a second just to offer a straw to all the Millwall fans and to all of the people that are opposed to the kneeling and opposed to Black Lives Matter and tell them to suck their dad's dirty underwear because I'm done with you all. <laughs> 2020, I'm done with you and I'm done with all you crusty people, man. Dirty bastards. <laughs> you know what? I, I no, I just, I'm just thinking. And we're gonna talk about this in another, probably in our next topic too. But I just am like, it must be exhausting to be a racist. Like, you just, what are you mad at? Like, what are you mad at? You're just That's always. Why they all got such bad skin? <laughs> it takes up so much energy to be vexed all the time, man. To be angry all the time. To be like, I'm going back into the stadium where I haven't been allowed to go this whole year. I'm going to see my team play. And I'm still so <laughs> it's angry. It's because I've not been able to box. have a good scrap in like, months. What? They need to get that venom out. They need to get it That's out. Actually, have a good yeah. swear. I would also like to offer a, uh, an actual straw, <laughs> unlike uh, Dominic, um, to those fans that, uh, who are fans of Millwall who were shocked and disgusted and you know, don't want to see their support of a team tarnished by you know a few idiots. And I would just like to say, um, as a black person, I feel your pain because I like it. <laughs> because <laughs> because how many times has somebody that is coded as black done something, and then every single black person has to kind of be a spokesperson to say that's just them and it's not all of us. So if it helps you, we can empathize with you, so maybe you can empathize now with us. Equally, it might just be some bad gear <laughs> being the den. Who knows? <laughs> Tis the season for black people in Christmas adverts. And brown people, just mixed people generally. It's a real, it's a real curate egg. And I won't say I was the first person to notice it, but I did write about this in 2016, I believe it was. And it's just this weird. It's all Christmas adverts take place in this weird place where the families are exactly mixed. And when I say exactly, I mean down the middle. Down the middle. And you're seeing what happened that people have just started cottoning on now with the Sainsbury's advert and all hell broke loose. Dom, do you want to take it away yeah. from there? <laughs> I have no issue with it. I have no issue with it at all. It's very noticeable. Um, it makes advert breaks more entertaining because 
if you play a drinking game with it, you'll end up smashed. Every brown person you see take a shot. <laughs> but I am completely unsurprised by it. It's corporate social responsibility. Why does any business do anything for profit? And at the moment, to be in the good graces of a lot of society, you want to show a bit of inclusion. You want to show a bit of diversity. I surely don't believe that the vast majority of companies do anything with anything other than profit in their mind. And it's just part of branding. It's just the same reason that Nike backed Colin Kaepernick. It's just the same reason that any company does anything that is topical, that is current. It's just the reason that Black Panther was a thing. Black Panther came out because the studios were trying to appeal to a broader population because it will make them look good. And there's a bit of money to be made from that. So, I'm not surprised by it. What I will say is though, and this is very similar to a point I made about Barack Obama, a point that I made about Kamala Harris, neither of whom am I going to talk glowingly about. But if you have a generation of kids who are seeing people that look like them on the television all the time, that is wonderful. So I think it's not everyday think piece. We could pick holes in everything about it, but at the end of the day, it's going to make people money. And if they make the money, they're happy. But is it good, Dom? Because a generation of kids seeing people that look like them, great. I wrote about it in 2018 with my nephew that had the Black Panther glove whilst watching the England football team full of black players and seeing France win the World Cup. But if the systems remain the same and those barriers to entry into those systems remain the same, all you're giving is false hope. Because, you know, you can look from the universities to policing to politics. This country kind of has such a high bar for entry. And it reminds me of the um, the Dave Chappelle joke from his 2004 stand-up. I spoke at my old high school and I told them kids straight up, if you guys are serious about making it out of this ghetto, you got to focus, you got to stop blaming white people for your problems, and you've, you've got to learn how to rap or play basketball or something, and you're trapped. You are trapped. Either do that or sell crap. That's your only option. That's the only way I've ever seen it work. You better get to entertaining these white people, nigga. Get to dancing. Dan, you made this beautiful point a few weeks ago where you talked about family histories and that we don't all come from kings and queens and why can't there be glory in their being fishermen? Your, your ancestors being fishermen. I would go even further than that and say it does not help to when the people that keep getting highlighted are exceptional. So it's great that I'm seeing Munya Chihuahua everywhere. Munya Chihuahua has been described in The Guardian as the internet's funniest satirist. They've literally used that phrasing, so a superlative. I'd love to be LeBron James. All I need to do is win the genetic lottery and also have an all-time work ethic. And I know what you're saying about these adverts, but it's like you're presenting something that only goes to a certain place, that only goes to a certain level. And I think the thing about our genera- my generation, your generation, is that we didn't see a lot of people so that we, we were probably under no illusion that we were going to have to work unbelievably hard to get to where we wanted to get to. How much worse is it if you kind of see these people in roles and you still can't get there? And you still can't get there. So whilst they might say on being you know, corporate social responsibility, every single time with all these adverts, I want to go, show me your board. But, yeah, <laughs> Great advert, show me your board. I, I, sorry, sorry, Alana. I just, I think this is a very today 
a very right now way of looking at things. And the unfortunate thing for us is we're all, some of us on the wrong side of 30, others fast approaching. We aren't the youth anymore. And the youth that see people like Munya Chihuahua have his phone as his tool to become a success and know how to navigate their way through certain social media trends that we don't because we don't understand them. We're never going to be early adopters anymore. That's just not us. So you've got a generation of children now, a lot of whom look like us, who are becoming a success. We just don't hear about them because we are past that generation now. And I think because a lot of our parents and grandparents have only been in this country for a few decades, that's not a lot of time in the societal context. So what are you disagreeing with? You came in in real strong. What are you disagreeing with what I'm saying? So you're saying that are they going to be able to build it by themselves? Because newsflash, nobody builds anything by themselves. Look at the amount of money that went into Mark Zuckerberg when he made... Facebook. Look at the amount of money that kind of goes into an Instagram, which was then acquired. Yeah, but you're talking not, about you're talking about historically. There's lots of trends happening now. I'm talking people about the can last take few ownership years. in technology. What was Facebook? 2006. It's a long time. That is a long time. And when you've got people that are making millions on YouTube, that are making hundreds of thousands on these trends that I don't understand, people being able to brand themselves in an organic way and own their brand from a very early age and a very early part of their career. There are a lot more opportunities for success now, which I don't understand, but I'm sure as hell my children will do. The way that you're looking at it is in a very classical sense, in terms of boardrooms, in terms of certain jobs and careers that we see as traditional. That isn't the way that the world's going to work in 10, 15 years' time. The kind of jobs that we're all doing now, my job is going to be automated in the next decade. Dan's job could be automated in a couple of years' time once they've got enough data to know and understand exactly how things work. (laughs) You say what you want, Dan. But these things that we see as traditional, yes, law firms perhaps, yes, certain certain industries within the city, yes, as things stand, the government right now, as things stand, yes, there are lots of barriers to entry. But at the same time, that's just what we understand. These kids right now are shaping a new world which they can take a lot more ownership of because you don't need to go to university now to be a millionaire. You can do it on a phone with your friends, with your peers and influence your circle in that way. I don't think we will ever understand that because it's not for us. And I think there's more to representation than just inspiring somebody to do something in terms of their career. It has to do with how they feel as a person. And I don't even think it has to do with just young people. I mean, I remember the first time I came to the UK and I came to London which visually is significantly more diverse than even coming from a place like LA, which you would think Mm. would be very diverse, but is still very segregated, and there aren't very many mixed people. I, as a mixed race woman, when I came to London, I was, it it just made me feel good to see how many Mm. mixed couples there were and all different kinds of shades and all different kinds of mixes, and then to also see that reflected in movies and commercials in medias yep. in way that it in a way that it is not reflected in the US. It's still and very you feel much normal, right? Yes, you just feel normal. And so that's what I appreciate about this representation is is it going to make me go out and I don't know, conquer the world as a black person, but no, it just makes me feel good to see myself reflected in yep. something every day like a dad making his gravy for his daughter at Christmas. <laughs> like mm. it's one less thing to worry about. I think for us being that we're, what, 30-odd years old, it makes sense for us to have a little bit of bitterness to the way that the world actually worked and has worked for us and against us in many ways. But then, to your point, Alana, if I'm a young black boy or girl watching TV and I actually see myself on that TV 
and I see interracial couples when I'm walking around the city, I feel normal and I have a sense of pride that hasn't been beaten out of me yet. And if I can use that to just make myself go a little bit further, then if, if I think back to when I was at school, and I'm sorry, mum, I'm going to have to hot you up here. But when I said that I was going to Careful. run for, <laughs> when I said I was going to run for head boy, the first thing she said was, there's never going to be a black head boy at that school. And she was right at the time, but I became deputy head boy. And I fully understand why she said that, because that's the world that she knew up until that point. She wasn't being a cynic. She was trying to protect me. The parallel that I'm trying to draw here is, if someone says, I want to be president, and your parent says, well, there's never going to be a black president, okay, you might not become the president, but you might push yourself to be a lot more than if you were knocked at that first hurdle. And that's what I think these adverts and this kind of representation does. It just doesn't kill the dream right at the offset. It enables you to think something is more viable for a longer time and push yourself to potentially achieve more than you would have done otherwise. So I can't see that as anything other than a good thing. Yeah, I feel like you're coming at it from... Uh... It's an interesting angle. You were you're veering into sounding real bootstrapish <laughs> there. Like you just gotta because you're just on the edge of saying it's all on the individual. So if I want to be this, I can do this. You need to wash your ass or shit won't. Yeah, change. but you know that's not, I'm, not what I'm saying. You know very well um, that's not what I'm saying. No, but the fact, but the, I, th I think the counter argument to that, the other side is where corporations, where businesses being nakedly cynical mm. it's important to call that out you can't just let them get you can't just let them get away with it because there's an unexpected byproduct that people might oh, of course take not. their yeah. message as actually encouragement when it's not supposed to be encouragement so i think that's where there is like sort of a, a, let's call it a friction between your views and angela's view which are not mutually exclusive at all opposing. at all but the way that i managed to <laughs> navigate myself through these kind of situations is try and find the positive in it because if we spent like we were saying about the racists at Millwall how can you use that that energy being angry all the time I can't do that because I'll go into a hovel and I'll never come out so if I can see some like glimmer of hope a tiny glimmer of hope then that's not going away from the fact that there's a lot of work to be done elsewhere as well but I'm still going to hold, hold on to that hope and I'm going to use that in the hope that my children and their children, etc., will be better equipped to do better than I have. But so yeah, you're the the the, the, the not a problem, but the, where the point of difference occurs is that you're. To, I think you are talking about the power of the individual, and I'm talking about the power of the state, the power of systems. Um, interestingly, so I was at I taught an independent school um, for a number of years. And during my time there, they had their first ever blackhead boy. Um, and uh, I spoke to him over the summer at a uh, Black Lives Matter event, because of course it was a Black Lives Matter event. We were talking about the experience, and he just said to me, apropos of nothing, you know why I was the blackhead boy, the first, the, the first blackhead boy, don't you? And I was like, because you were the best candidate? Because he really was the best candidate. <laughs> he just laughed at me, and he went... No, it's because Hull got City of Culture, Kofi Smiles was the face of it, Hull uh, tight our good friend Kofi, and the head thought that it would play well to have a person of colour so that he could highlight his progressive bona fides. And I asked him how he felt about that, and he was like, I know that I was the best person, 
but I still kind of have this now nagging doubt. Did I get it because I was the best or did I get it because of politics? And so for me, there's, there is the one argument that you could say, well, it doesn't matter. You did a good job. You kind of have created a pathway for someone else. But I don't think that's much comfort to him because actually what it's done is actually reinforce this idea that his skin is political. That actually the system, he didn't change the system. In fact, he highlighted how the system works by getting that role. And that's, I can understand his cynicism because I feel it. Yeah, I get that. But I would also say to that, and this is very much in my argument about affirmative action. Fuck his feelings. <laughs> that's exactly how I would be if I got a position where I know I was the best for it, but I was given it because of the color of my skin. Or I was given it because I'm gay. Or I was given it because I'm a woman. A good example is my brother, for instance. He's at uni right now. I asked him recently what he wanted to do, be a management consultant. He doesn't want to do that. He's just saying that because I did that and it looks like a tidy career. But had I not gone to uni, what would his aspirations have been? Just having those role models, the more role models we can get in a more varied, wider variety of roles, the more children we're going to see in education that look like us, the more people who see a black president, who see black people on television and think it's attainable, they might shoot for that but end up in a pretty damn good career on the way up. If, right from the off, you don't see anybody that's in those positions that look like you, how are you going to aspire to it when you don't know it exists? I didn't know what a management consultant was when I was 15, 16 years old. My brother's known since he was like 12, 13. Because that's the importance of it. I get 100% the institutions are currently broken. But how do we fix it? Yes, in the UK, we are 3% of the population as black people. But if we get more black people that are going to university, more black people that are doing these kind of roles and more black people being successful, then we start to put a much more significant dent into what is already an institution that is solidified. Whether that is in education, whether that is in financial services, whether it's in, fa whether it's in banking, whatever it is, the more people we can get through that system with these different, um, these different types of role models, the better. And I will struggle to hear anything against that. Alana, as the spokeswoman for all women, um, mm. how did you feel about Dom's comment there that, you know, fuck your feelings if you get the job because you're a woman? <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that in particular, because obviously affirmative action is something that I have greatly benefited benefited from, um, even in my college applications. I worked that system for sure. Um, but I also felt very righteously so, like any accolades that I got or any achievement that I succeeded was very much because of who I am. Um, so I don't know, I guess I'm just blessed that way. So I don't really have a no comment as of yet. But one thing that did strike me is that I don't think that the exposure of um, this type of representation is not only beneficial for black youths. I think white people or people who are not of color um, or people from different ba backgrounds seeing the normalization of mm. black life and positive black imagery will also help to shape the lands hopefully will help to shape a black the dentist for forward. instance sure and like i think about my sister who's 10 years younger than me and she's technically my half sister she's half white half mexican but she basically just looks white and that's probably the experience that she's grown up with her exposure to different people and different cultures just through social media and just through the shows that she's watched which are much more diverse than they were when i was younger 
her open-mindedness is has way surpassed what mine was at that age and not just her and it's not just because she's in my family but I look at her peers um, and she grew up in Seattle you know so it's pretty much just white and Asian and they still have a more open-minded idea of inclusive inclusivity and equality than I did when I was that age and I hopefully that will translate into the future that they create as adults are the shows more diverse I've been staying at my my mum's for the last uh week um and every night without fail um after she's watched her um soaps she puts on Netflix and she watches Desmond's Desmond's came out in 1989 um She'll also watch Fresh Prince. That was 1990 to 1996. She'll watch My Wife and Kids. That's early 2000s. Um, but why does she know them? She know, she watches them because she knows them. No, no, but my point is, my point is, is that you kind of make this point about this um, normalizing black people kind of will lead to a normalization, which sounds good in theory, except we've gone backwards. We've clearly, clearly gone backwards when it but comes in what to sense? In, in rep- representation. Representation. We've so gone I backwards. actually, I think I, I'm in reference to my sister. She's Gen Z, and they're not watching Netflix. They're watching YouTubers. No. They're on exactly. social media. They're on TikTok. R.I.P. Vine. But this is where they're getting their introduction to the world that is out there. Even though you know it's problematic because it is fake, but. It, I think those platforms are much more diverse than the TV shows that are still being made or the ones that we are used to growing up. This is exactly to the point that I was making previously, though, Angelo. We're talking about things that are traditional because that's what we know. We don't understand what kids and Gen Z kids or Gen Z are doing, what their trends are, what is actually targeted to them, because we aren't the, we aren't the intended recipients anymore. So when we say that we've taken a step backwards... I personally would disagree with that because I see a hell of a lot more people that look like me creating and prospering. Not enough, but I'm seeing more than I did when I was 10, 15 years younger. And there's way more people that I'm seeing on social media that I don't even recognise who are killing it. Based Are on- you seeing more or are the people that are doing it you're getting to see because of the way that media has gone? Is there more stuff or are we just more aware of the people that are doing it? Probably a bit of both. Probably a bit of both, yeah, because targeting is so powerful nowadays, um, and that's how marketing works. But if that isn't necessarily a good thing, at least there is something out there for those people in my demographic. Because twenty years ago, when we only had five, when we only had five TV channels, twenty years ago, there was even less, wasn't there? So even I, if I am receiving things that have been targeted to me that are for me, that's a good thing. Dan, as the marketer, what what are your views? It's it's an interesting one, and I think. There's a there's a there's a lot of merit in your argument, and there's a lot of truth in your argument, Dom, about us being. You're not as old and washed as you think. I know you've just got to be thirty, Dom, but you mate, you're still you're still good for the road. But what I will say is that there's still in like in terms of if we're going to tie this back to to CSR, in terms the what are they what are these kids doing? It's still entertainment. It's still in all the same fields that we we're doing before. Whether it's going to be fashion, whether it's whether it's jokes, whether it's like music it's still the same this is what you guys know because that's what we see we don't know the kind of moves that black people are making in the professional services industry because there's only me on this call that works in that industry well i I know that but we can't speak to something which isn't you can't you can't then turn around and say to me well that exists and just none of us can see i get that completely but 
in what you're what we, the only thing that we can actually engage on that we all know is media is things that we all see but then my point is if on a very micro level there are more black and brown faces more female faces that are taking up these roles in smaller professions things that don't get the the broadcast and they don't get the coverage that an instagram gets that can only be a good thing and i think what is important actually is that it's now we're having this conversation here it's incumbent on us as the people who have got in now we're in to just make to be making that rattle on those boardrooms and it's funny you're saying like does it matter if you were hired for to, to fill a quota because you looked the right way because you were, we needed a woman at that time it only matters mm-hmm. based on what what is your impact what are you willing to do with the opportunity that you've got if you get in and you close the door behind you then fuck you but that's a lot but again that's a lot of pressure on an individual we're not all built to be kind of civil rights leaders some of us just want to be a teacher I agree I agree, and without you even knowing it, you'll, you'll, you'll just teach, and you'll come across a kid when you're 50, when you're 60, and I'll say, and he'll tell you, like, and you ask him what he did, oh, I was a teacher, or I did this thing, and it'll be, it might be a throwaway comment that you, you made years ago, and it, the fact that you just, you existed in this person's world, or as an extension of their universe, as an individual or a role model unrelated to them, you, you might have given them that spark and given them that start. However, there, there were others who, I'm not. I'm. I'm not a civil rights leader. I'm not someone who's going to go out like you know. It's. I, I, well, I'm. I'm trying to. I'm looking into setting up like mentorship groups. And you know, the the longer I've noticed, the further you get into your career, the more frustrated you get with that. It's kind of lonely in the rooms that you're walking into in terms of people that look like you. And the more you want to do, it's just. It's the way it goes. But it's. It's. I'm willing to use the opportunity now. I've got. I've got a start, and I'm. I'm in to my particular feelings. Like, okay. What can I do? What minds can I change when I'm talking to clients? What campaigns can we start where I can start to hire particular creatives? Or still wait what, for that phone uh, call, <laughs> yeah, mate. I think the, the bag's not going to be heavy enough. For you. Dan, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't think I, I get what you're both saying, but I don't think you even need to do anything. So we say that it is a bit of pressure, and lots of people, most people, don't want that pressure. But the way I look at it, if I use my little brother as an example again. I know that you work in social media marketing. If that's something that he wanted to pursue, I know someone who does it. When I was looking at potential career opportunities, if I think back to before I went to university, the black people that I know from my family, I had a nurse, someone who worked in local government, someone who was a solicitor. Um, I had someone that did something in IT. And the rest pretty much to a man and woman were working in some, at the very most mid-level management job or working um, in some kind of manual labor and just having a network of people that are in specific roles are in specific industries that is good that is progression so I'm not saying that we're in well, some that- kind of or we're heading to some kind of utopia but there is a hell of a lot more opportunity and I think to say no it's only it's only quite short-sighted I think that is that is doing a lot of disservice to the people that are making these moves like ourselves yeah but then that's very different to kind of having some caramel couples and very rarely dark-skinned black women. Um, because it, the, the thing is, even if I wanted to agree with your argument, for me, on the specific issue of the advert, it falls down on, do dark-skinned black women exist? Of course they don't, not in the media, not yet. So so this is where I kind of go, I get what you're saying, but the level of cynicism that it takes to go, we're going to be progressive, but we've 
black men have been historically fetishized, so they're okay. And everybody wants a caramel child, they're okay. But black women, sorry, you're shit out of luck. That's it's just it's but Angela, far too Angela, cynical. We've said it. We've said it a million times on this podcast. We all know that progression is on a continuum. Yes, it's not good enough. I have a dark-skinned black mother, and it fucks me off that I don't see anybody that looks like her in the media. That it takes Viola Davis until she's in her middle age to actually do anything and still is getting shat on in terms of what she actually deserves. I hate that. It makes me feel shit to even acknowledge it. But we don't get there overnight, and this is a road that we just continually have to walk down. I look at Michaela Cole and the moves that she's made this year. The fact that I may destroy you as being such a success means that it's going to be likely that another black young, a dark-skinned black young woman goes into a creative's office and has a pitch because of how well that's been received. So yes, it's not perfect. It's far from perfect. But I will never turn my nose up at progression because we are progressing. And I don't want this to sound like no John Barnes thing in saying it was much worse 30, 40 years ago than it is right now because I know someone was tiptoeing and ready to say that. But I think we do also need to acknowledge the power that we have as consumers. And we said this when we were talking with Neef. There's a lot that we can do as consumers, as creatives, to make things better for people that look like us. And that's what I think we're doing right now. Even just seeing these in adverts, even seeing things like I Made Show You on TV, it's not perfect, but it's helping us get to something a lot better than we're currently in. It's like the black butterfly effect. <laughs> Very profound. <laughs> <Alana>. <laughs> It's interesting just to see the trajectory that they're actually going on because in 2018, Sainsbury's had the kids play and the black girl was the star onto the top of the Christmas tree. And just two short years later, a whole black family Christmas. We're coming. We're taking over. <laughs> Can I just say one thing that is genuinely terrifying, hilarious? I don't know what the word is. So obviously I um I put out like try to be funny and put out videos. And I've got a character called Ray who is a cis man, as in a racist man. And you, you, the thing is is I think that's pretty I think that's a pretty obvious joke, but put the video out on I put a video out on Twitter about, you know, Ray's really upset about the Sainsbury's advert and the joke is is that, you know, um it's not just Sainsbury's it's the England football team. They're, they're kind of got a lot of, you know, darkies on the team. And it's the England rugby team. And it's Joffrey Archer. And, you know, clearly meant to be a joke. And then I did something that I never normally do. And I had a look at the comments. And a plurality, a plurality thought that this was a real person. That I, as a black person, was like... This this uh this Sainsbury's advert is taking the mitt. There's too many too many darkies. I think I literally said darkies, and and so and then I kind of go, are we pitching black in a box at too intellectual a level? If a plurality of the comments on that video are people going, do you know what? You've hit the nail on the head, and it's getting fifty to a hundred kind of people agreeing. There's a very different audience for your videos than there is for this podcast. Although if you're using words like plurality instead of majority, <laughs> maybe it is too intellectual. Damn. So long story short, he's opening up for Jim Davison next week. <laughs> In his Roy Chubby Brown bag. Bag's a bag. 
What was the first thing? Can I just ask you guys quickly? What was the first thing uh, you thought you were going to do after they lifted the last lockdown? Uh, just a quick wait round, Angelo. Uh, play basketball. Alana? Oh, go party. Party, Dom? drinking. Find a girl and send me one breed, yo. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even get it out with a straight face. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Shout out yeah. Dom's girl, yeah? <laughs> this was lockdown one. Lockdown one, not lockdown two. Long time ago, long, long time Shock. ago, long time ago. Long, long time ago, long time ago, long, long, long time ago. Long time ago. <laughs> and it didn't happen. Shout, shout out to our... <laughs> Nothing happened. Shout out to our number one fan, Heather, Heather Thompson. <laughs> it's all joke, isn't it? Yo, what's the next topic, man? (laughs) (laughs) Move! Help me! Help me! (laughs) Gonna get that good old fashioned whooping. (laughs) This is getting dropped after the Christmas holiday. Okay. Okay. Well, I noticed none of you said the. You know what the first thing Boris Johnson did? The first thing Priti Patel did. Scheduled a deportation flight for the wind rush. Bastards. <laughs> and it, this was a flight which, which was delayed previously, months ago after the backlash, because these people are British citizens. I th- I'm not sure if, if we, we... I think we did pick this up many, many months ago, uh, but the sort of thing that we want to talk about here is... is the the silence the wall of silence from our our main opposition um the labor party and if only the labor party had an actual human rights lawyer and former director of public prosecutions who might be skilled in arguing the case against the deportation of british citizens during a lockdown during a, world, a global pandemic um I, this is it. Um, I, I, I just got uh, a sort of quote here from Satbir Singh, the Chief Executive of the Joint Council for the Welfare of Immigrants. If you believe the criminal justice system cannot take someone guilty of an offence and rehabilitate them, make sure and make sure they're no longer a danger to society, then you need to fix the criminal justice system. Deporting people doesn't solve anything. I, 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 to me, this isn't a difficult thing to a difficult argument to make as an opposition party it, it, it really isn't especially in the context of the current circumstances of a pandemic and a lockdown and an unpopular incumbent uh, government this is not a difficult case to make uh, given that last there was uproar previously in the year and they suspended the flights but it appears that is not the case Angelo so there's a number of different angles that you can take on this. The first angle is one that I've mentioned before, which is we've got, and Dom's going to love this, we have to dead BAME as a term because there is there is not cross-racial solidarity. The, the vigour, the vim that Pretty Patel has pursued this, going so far as to 
uh, have an article published in the Daily Mail um, criticising those that would argue against sending, in her words, you know, rapists and criminals um, abroad um, and trying to speak for the BAME community only to have the... And I'm putting BAME in... Always assume, listeners, that when we say BAME, we're putting it in inverted commas only to have the BAME community tell her in the politest possible terms to take a hoover to her mother, you know. And so that we have to dead this idea of BAME solidarity, number one. Number two, I find it very interesting that of the, I believe it was more than 50 that were due to go on, 37 were taken off of the flight due to... Uh, pressure that was put on by lawyers who kind of advocated on their behalves um, and so there is a nugget in there for the old cynic in me which is direct action can work the justice system can work but to speak um, about labor in particular I look at who is leading the charge in the labor party and I go, I do not have a political home there. You've got Margaret Hodge, who has been, who uh, apparently said that if, to Keir Starmer, that if Jeremy Corbyn was readmitted, um, despite the claims against him of anti-Semitism, that she would leave the party. This is the same Margaret Hodge that when she was running a council in the mid-90s, apparently didn't know about child sexual abuse that was going on. This is our moral arbiter. Uh, there was there are some uh, Ian Hislop would be among them who would say that she turned a blind eye to it. You've got Keir Starmer, and this is this is my key, key line. And in fact, I'm going to stop it because I don't want to monologue. Um, my thought is this: Keir Starmer isn't doing anything about it because we're three percent and it doesn't poll well. Is there anybody that disagrees with that statement? Because that that's where I come down on it. Nope. That's the game of politics, right? This is it. I mean, the, the, to me, the Labour Party, they're terrified of anything which might move the needle, whether that's in their favour or seemingly against them. It's, you know, this kind of sort of negative campaigning. Um, I think you mentioned it previously, like Obama, his thing, he, he ran on hope. Like this weird negative campaigning, I just can't. I just don't understand it. I, I fundamentally don't understand it. Um, so I think the it's, way- it's it's the red wall, isn't it? It's this it's this mythical. They've got to win back the red wall. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, and, and it's bollocks. It is. It is. It's the assumption that because so many of them voted Brexit, that them doing the right thing around these deportations is going to piss them off and make sure that they stay conservative. It's bollocks. This is it. But this is like we all like other than Alana. Don, me and you grew up in the north. Angela, you've lived in the north for a good while. This is not an issue. This is not. This is not a swing issue for them, at all, no. at all. And stop it. That no. just it's just equating. Like I think they make the same mistake that Tories make. They, they they've been lulled into thinking like working class means thick and racist. And that this yeah, is how it nonsense. this is how it feels to me when that's not actually the case at all. Like you don't have to pander to. To racists, you don't have to worry about upsetting racists. That's just not—it's mm-hmm. not the case.
I think I think the Labour Party believe that not being Boris Johnson is going to be enough to to win, and I'd like them to ask Hillary Clinton how that went when your basic campaign is I'm not the other person, because I'll be honest, um, if I I've I've said this to a few people, I think there's going to be another election next year. I don't think Boris Johnson's got the stomach for it. Um, I think he realizes that he can make a lot more money on the talking circuit and for a lot less effort. I think he's going to hand it over. I think Brexit's going to be a shit show and I think there'll be another election so that they can kind of say, look, if you have this election, then you just got to agree that what we say is right. And I'll be really honest, and this might come across as really selfish and I might get criticised for it. If there's an election next year and the Labour Party kind of is saying what, stating it is kind of what it is at the minute, I will not be getting up early to vote or late to vote. I will not vote for a party that kind of clearly doesn't have not only my interest because I don't I've never voted in my interest when I was a teacher and I was earning good money it was not in my best personal interest to vote for the party that was going to potentially tax me more but if you're not going to look after the vulnerable in society and Labour's literally is in your name then what use are you? What use are you? I'm, I'm not sure I agree with that at all any vote against the Tories is a go- is a good vote for me, especially in its current form. This the sound. I mean, I'm still getting familiarized with the ins and outs of the different political parties here. But you know, just on the circle, well, not even on the surface, but just in this situation, it reminds me a lot of you know the liberals v the conservatives in the states and how liberals are quite moderate but in in being moderate and being neutral in talking the talk but not walking the walk or at least not you know going harder in your convictions um you end up emboldening the right and the um the more conservative side and dan actually there's another quote that i just wanted to share from the article that you mentioned and it said Skirting the issue does not make it go away. Instead, the conservatives get to define the narrative, drag it ever right words, and dominate the conversation. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happens in the States, you know, in deporting dreamers and Mexican immigrants, um, or even detaining Mexican immigrants, something that liberals are apparently up in arms about, but have done absolutely nothing concrete to fight against, or even if we're talking about Black Lives Matter um, and being anti-racist, there's a lot of talk, there's a lot of good jargon, but there's very little action actually being taken. And that's why the Democratic Party is in the position where it's in, because even in an election where you have the most contentious person of all time who was in the White House uh, against Joe Biden, who is a Democrat, there's still a lot of people who felt... Un- unwilling to unwilling to vote for Joe Biden because they were like it's just a little less shit than the alternative. But that's it, Alani. You said Joe Biden, and then you pause and you went, "Who's a Democrat? What the fuck does that mean? What what does he stand for?" And and I would go even further than what you said, Alana. The problem is, is if you have this, if you're reaching for this mythical middle, and you're not willing to stick your neck out for people, British citizens that are being deported. You're actually in opposition doing the job of the people that you purport to be 
uh, against. So why then, I hear what you're saying, Dom, and I've heard a lot of people say this, and the, the argument I often hear is, um, you know, Jeremy Corbyn won, won the ideas but lost the election, and you have to be in power if you're going to make change, and that means you have to do these things. First of all, Jeremy Corbyn wins that election if the Labour Party doesn't act, 2017, if they don't actively try and stop him. But more than that, it's like, I don't think we can... Do you know what would kill the Labour Party forever? Is if Keir Starmer came into power and then led like Tony Blair and kind of did not see things improve. It would destroy Labour forever. And so this... Maybe that's what needs to happen now. Oh, I, I, well, now you're speaking my language. Um, you know, I've been listening to a lot of Bob Marley that doesn't get played on the radio. Um, yeah. And so this is my issue, is that if if Labour winning, if, if Keir Starmer not taking a position on British citizens being deported is what Labour needs to do to win, then how is that better than the Tories? Explain it. Because if as, they as, do as, win, as, they actually won't deport the Jamaicans. Will they not? Well, they not. probably not. Probably even, not. E- even if it shows that it's good polling to do so. Well, you got me there, aren't you? It's a numbers game. So long awaited, long, long, long awaited. I know for a fact, Dom started compiling his list in in January. It just ticks it off week <laughs> by week. One hundred and fifteen albums in consideration. Um. I'm assuming those are just my favourites as well. <laughs> <laughs> it was a funny old year. Obviously, you, you, the, the modern music industry is sustained by gigs, and it's sustained by your sort of tertiary um, economy. Without that, as you see, that's why you've seen absolutely no tra- no stuff from TD. TD push out the albums, and then they all get on a massive tour, and they make bank. That's why we've not seen any music, no matter what they say. And that's how, you know, it happens with a lot of artists, a lot of smaller artists, if they can't tour, then it's just, it's not really economically sensible for them to release tracks. So. That makes sense. Absolutely. So we've seen, it's been a year of sort of sparse releases, um, but what it has meant is that we've seen some really interesting music, I reckon. The music, that, the music that has come out has been stuff which has been either really well thought of it's either been, or it's been like a passion project that they wanted to make with another artist, or it's been something that they really wanted to get out. So, I think with those in mind, it's. I think it's been a pretty good year for music, in, in, with, with, with all things considered. I think even if this year was a regular year, yes, we haven't had the likes of a Kendrick or. A, if you're that way inclined, a Drake album. But we've still had some. We've still had some great, great releases. Like you say, Dad, without those those heavy hitters dropping anything big. I think it's because 2019 was so good. Like it was always good. You're always going to see a bit of a fall off. I was there were so many albums. Like my mind had just convinced myself it was this year. And even I was like creeping back. I was like, God, I mean, Kiwi, Kiwi Nuka was this year. And there's, there's mm. a lot of those. There's a lot of those. So, um, Alana, you, I mean, you said you had a short list, so you want to you wanna run through yours first? I do, I do. And I think the reason my list is so short is because, much like my 2020 experience, um, my most listened to songs, genres, albums, it's really all over the place. So there wasn't 
one album that I really went to this year or one artist or even one genre. I mean, it spanned everything from <laughs> needing some soft piano classical to lots and lots of Afrobeats. And um, I, I took advantage of a lot of New Music Fridays on Spotify. So there's just a whole mix mash um, of new artists on my Spotify. But I'll start with a new artist that I found. And admittedly, I haven't listened to a lot of her. I presume she goes by her. Her name is Connie Constance. And she is a black British young woman. And she has a song called Costa del Margate. which I really love. It's sort of indie, alternative, um, and I just love seeing beautiful new creative music made by beautiful young black women and black artists. Um, and then there are two other songs that really <laughs> spoke to me this year. And ironically, even though we slightly slandered this man in an earlier pod, they do both feature J. Cole. <laughs> <laughs> one one is and just humor me here but one is j cole jump out the window <laughs> and it's not as depressing as it sounds the reason i love this song is because he says i think i'm ready to jump out the window and he says it in such a way that it was just it was such a cathartic song for me this year when things just got really difficult. So that's that's one. And then the other song is Ari Lennox, Shea Butter Baby. I, I'm not so. saying it's necessarily released this year, but I came to it this year. And in terms of okay. like reflecting my 2020, how I felt as a black woman who swears by Shea Butter, uh, I just really, I really love this song, and I really, I really identify with it. And it made me feel really proud to be a black woman in a year where a lot of my identity has been on the precipice, and a lot of my feelings with my identity um so yeah those would be those would be my top three songs of this year and like i said in terms of genres it's just kind of all over the place but that's me that's my 2020 first of all you know how spotify does the year-end list it can show you how kind of uh how much you've got into an artist uh spotify told me that i was in the top 0.05 percent of listeners of Leanne Le Havis this uh. year. And I just want to say to Leanne Le Havis, it's just about the music. Because that's that's a high number. That's a very, very high number for it to be pointed out. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, the Leanne Le Havis self-titled album, just by far and away the best thing I heard this year. Uh, there's a three, the three... There's a three-track run, tracks two, three, and four, going into Can't mm. Fight. A 
card fight is by far and away my song of the year. It's so far and away that I almost want to kind of leave a pause and then come back so that I, I make it very clear in the listener's mind how superb that album was. The first album that she's released in four years, no fillers on the album, superb track all the way through. A couple of other albums. I am going to mention Jay Electronica. I'm not going to mention the one that was released to a lot of fanfare and was... It was it was mixed. Don't Dom, don't do it. Don't do it. I see you leaning forward. Don't I, I, do it. I didn't see any fanfare. That's what I'm gonna say. But then he dropped Act Two: Patents of Nobility. Uh, uh, no, I say he dropped. It got leaked, um, and that was the album that I thought uh, should have been released. And he was he was amazing on that. Um, and then I've only got two others that I'm gonna mention. There's I'm not gonna do a Dom and kind of give you you know an encyclopedia. Uh, Buster Rhymes Buster Rhymes he did Extinction Level Event 2 I was worried because I haven't heard anything good from Buster Rhymes in the last 10, 15, 18 years but boy did he come through on that uh, Master Fad Mohammed, the track where he's got uh, <laughs> Louis Farrakhan on it I'm here to heat up and beat the street up I'm back to punish while Trump is present with a mouth screaming louder than trumpets while you're bound to the puppets I'm gonna stand and stick around for the judgment use the world stage with the god crown and put it down for the oh my goodness oh my goodness me we got a Kendrick sighting on that album uh, we got some ODB on that album we got him teaming up again with Mariah Carey on that album we got the God MC you know it's a good album when the when the track that I'm a little bit like uh, is the one with Vibes Cartel uh, and then I kind of made a big deal about this when it came out it still sounds great um, Fetch the Bolt Cutters uh, Fiona Apple uh, great album been waiting for music from her for a long time was not disappointed and then Chloe Halley uh, just do it has been probably one of the biggest songs of the year uh, like their music uh, they're maturing uh, musically and I thought that was a very very good solid single on a solid album but yeah Leanne Le Havis Leanne Le Havis Leanne Le Havis I think it has been a good year it's been a good year and the same as last year I think quite a few of my favourites have been British which is um, another great sign Tom Mission Youssef Days yeah what kind of music Wicked album. Um, Yusuf Days on the drums. Some of the tracks on that, I've not heard anything like it in a long, long time. Just unbelievable, unbelievable piece of music. Dornick, Limbo Land. Dornick, a kind of friend of this show. I'm trying to put everyone onto this album. Watch out for the sharks. Stab you in a dark end. It's a real rat race. And a around. It is one of the one of the most creative bits of R&B I've heard in a minute and it kind of reminds me of a kind of like a blood orange kind of vibe but a bit more upbeat and very synth heavy again London based everyone needs to listen to Dornick Limbo Land and then Salt now I stumbled upon Salt about two months ago and was absolutely floored so they are very there's a lot of mystique around them so no one knows really who they are so Aside from Inflow, the producer, and there being a bit of Cleo Soul on the albums, so they released two albums this year, one untitled Black Is, another one untitled Rise. 
and both of the albums, in particular Black Is, are just phenomenal. Black Is has Michael Kiwanuka on there, Cleo Soul, but aside from that, everything else is just there's no there's no credits on there, so you don't know who's behind this music. Both of those absolutely incredible. Um, and then my track of the year, there's loads I could have mentioned here, and this is a bit unorthodox for me, but 2020 is the year that I discovered drill for myself. I've been a naysayer of drill for a couple of years now, and I dipped my toe in and I got hooked. And Unknown T, Dede, is just, it's, you just gotta listen to it, it's so big. Rise up the thing and brown, dead. We crash on pets, four four in the back, let's thing right round. Slap piece for a techno watch, but I'm able to bust that down. No way, we don't do no square rounds, nine gang circle around. The whole thing, everything about it is massive. Huge tune, so unknown to Dead Air. I think it's my second most listened to track this year after D Smoke, Top of the Morning. Another good album. Um, but yeah, what those guys are doing in London at the moment with Drill. Um, and I've heard little bits and pieces up in, in Liverpool and in Birmingham as well. That sound ain't going anywhere, and I've had to get used to it, and I urge everyone else to as well. I thought your top track was uh, Bop. No, that was number three. <laughs> I was a bit disgusted in myself for that, but... <laughs> He's a big chew. <laughs> and he did some shit with some bap in it. And every single the baby track sounds the same. But I'll listen to it. If it comes on in the club, I'm gonna lose my mind when I'm allowed back in the club. Oh yeah. Um so yeah, I, th I think it's been a good year, man. It's been a good year. What's left for you, Dan? Have I left anything? It's not much, is there? It's a it's a barren landscape. So I mean ugh, I, I'll, I'll reel through the stuff everyone else has got. So I had Donick Limberland. Uh, J Elect, Patents of Nobility, Alfredo, What Kind of Music, Knight Rider, that song with Freddie Gibbs. Mm. My goodness, honestly, like, obviously we've not been able to travel travel. I mean, some of us have kind of got out of here for a bit, but we've not been able to travel travel. I just thought, like, when I get to, like, a, like a proper sandy beach or I'm on the deck of a boat and I'm just going to have the guy just, just banging Knight Rider. Tom Mission use of days, just just not a care in the world, honestly. Um, and then I had Thundercat. It is what it is. Not as good as his yes, first. This year. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Dra Dragon Ball Durag was my track of the year. So it's the track I've listened to the most this year. <laughs> Video um, of the year as well. Mm, 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 mm. And uh, and then I've, I've just been sort of scrambling for them because everything else is, is on here. Oh yeah, sorry, Big Sean, Detroit Two. No. Yeah, good shout, good shout. Detroit Two, full circle. Like it's it, it for like down the line conventional hip hop. I just because I wasn't really expecting anything and he just he just came out, it's like fair. And then uh, um, that's it really. King Cruel Man Alive was alright, but yeah, those other ones were like those other six were yeah, I'm happy with them. Yeah, Dan, Dan I just really wanted to uh, co sign 
Thundercat. That was a phenomenal album, unbelievable mm. album, and like just like some really great features as well. Yeah, I mean, I might be covered in cat hair, <laughs> but I smell good. <laughs> this is it. That's my favorite lyric of the whole year. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, back to back, back to back albums for him. Like he's he's just yeah. he's on something else. Favorite moments of 2020. Let's end this year on a lovely positive spin. Dom, favorite moment of 2020. The the cynic in me, right? So this is this is really sad. So obviously there's the first pint that I had after a long cycle once pints were allowed again. That was actually my favourite moment. But there was a show that I watched called Race Around the World where pairs had to on a shoestring budget get from A to B. I think it's from Mexico City to Patagonia. Um, and <laughs> the two guys that won won over a very annoying woman and she <laughs> lost out by 20 seconds. And... <laughs> Me seeing the look on her face when she realised she lost by 20 seconds. That was my favourite moment of 2020. You see your bad mind? Fuck you, you, you see whiny your bad mind? <laughs> I'm bad mind, I'm sorry. But that filled me with joy. Oh, shit, that's made me laugh. Alana? Mine are so simple. Um, I, was, I was talking to you guys about this earlier, but every year at the end of the year... I like to do this thing that I call three lessons and three blessings. And it's usually where I look at the lessons of the year and they're usually challenges. And then the blessings are just good things that have happened this year. And typically they're unrelated, but I feel like in 2020, a lot of them are linked. So for me in this year where a lot of people don't have jobs, I've just been really grateful to keep mine. <laughs> um, I, where people are struggling to pay their rent, I've been happy to have moved and to moved and uh, to have moved into a wonderful place and to be honest that's probably my favorite moment is just having my own curated space with my plant babies private time to myself and my sudoku or sudoku as you guys would say and um yeah but i, I do think it, 2020 is a weird one because there's no standout moment i haven't been able to travel uh, because of my visa, so there's no real standout moment, but just little moments of gratitude. Enjoy. So I thought about this, and I'm I'm very much in the same camp as Alana that it's been the little thing. So um, first, first, well, only lockdown. This hasn't been a lockdown. Just the shops were closed. For, like you can't eat in restaurants. That's what this lockdown is. Um, but the first lockdown was really tough living living by myself and. Remember the first time when I just got to go to the park with my friend uh, Jenny, and we just sat in the park, and I was just—I've there's this picture. I'm just cheesing, just cheesing. I remember it. Was the it. First time I just had human contact, not via a machine, and uh, like it was genuinely, it was genuinely emotional, like really, really emotional because it made you realize how kind of. In normal years, you're like, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. No, I just need the love of a friend. Like, I need to hear her talk about the trials and tribulations of parenting and, you know, stuff like that. Um, then, I've mentioned it before, but it did give me such a belly laugh. I've probably watched it a thousand times when Mo the Comedian did his uh, Roadman Footballer. <laughs> that kind of still has me absolutely rolling. And then... Um, 
just on a professional kind of level, obviously with doing the kind of Black Boris characters, seeing some of the people that I grew up watching kind of saying how much they've enjoyed the character has been amazing, kind of like, um, you know, I had Charlie, Charlie Brooker was like, that's really good, um, like, followed me on, on the Twitter, um, you know, there's been other people as well, and just kind of, this is a thing that I started, really, because I was going mad during lockdown, you know, I was sick, I think, with COVID, um, watching our Prime Minister just make it up on the spot every time, was like, I know this guy, I went to school with this kind of guy, and it's, you know, it's it's paid some bills, you know, so, um, yeah, in a year where people haven't been able to work, I've kind of been able to sort of navigate a career change, so, uh, and it's ongoing, you know, it's not like I'm now, you know, you know, Kevin Hart or anything, or Dave Chappelle or anything like that, but, you know, when your bills are being paid because you're slinging jokes, that's a not, that's a great place to be. So yeah. Can I just add something on to mine really quick that Angelo no. said? But no. Well, no. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. It'll be to your credit. So well. We'll just, every, we'll just for everyone this on the call. For everyone on the call. For all of our listeners, except for Dan, I would like to say that having joined this podcast is actually a highlight of my year. Um, and I forgot that this started this year. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, this has been a real, a real joy. You've taken this thing to a different level. So we appreciate you as well, Alana. Appreciate it. How far you two have come from Alana's first appearance? Two? Two? <laughs> no, no. Dominic can hold all of that. N- Dominic n- can hold I, I, all of that. I meant, I meant Dom and Alana. Ooh. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but you were feeling nervous there, weren't you? Right? That was a real, that was a real hey? no name moment right there. Yeah, <laughs> I think we all know who the real misogynist is. I don't like this at all. I don't like this at all. Oh. No, no. Yeah, I mean, for me, I would say to, to follow Angelo's point, my favorite moment of 2020 is 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 yet to happen, but I cannot say because of some of the things he's been talking about just then. But that's gonna that is gonna pop off, and there are gonna be corks flying, and because it's lockdown, it's only gonna be me and my mum, and she's gonna hate it. So I'm sorry, mum, but <laughs> that period between Christmas and New Year, it's just us, and I'm gonna be drinking every day. So, but I digress. Uh, honestly, honestly, uh, people. So I just think in in such a difficult year, uh, uh, people have. As much as I'm regularly disappointed and cynical, and so I'm not surprised at things like people have in general the people around me and the people who I expect a lot from, and the people who who I generally have interacted with have just been done some truly like amazing selfless things. And I, I this came to mind because I was thinking recently about um, about Rob Burrow. So rugby league's a sport that we all played as kids. You know, when we all enjoy still like. Nate, who's not here today, like it's been such a massive part of his life with you know his dad being a former player, and it's a small sport, but you see the way 
the quality of the, the individuals involved all the time and uh, it, 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 the way they supported Steve Prescott Foundation joining Jack which everyone knows about because of Owen Farrell doing the locked fingers and now they've rallied around Rob Burrow like one of the best players on a legendary legendary yeah. Leeds team uh, one of the best we'll see and he got motor neuron syndrome and he's diagnosed this year and I, I've still not been able there's a BBC documentaries made and I've still not been able to bring myself mm. to watch it because I, I know it'll make me cry and I'm not going to be able to take it but Covid slapped the North differently and Covid slapped working class but communities that the kind of which rugby league thrives in differently and yet people still supported and donated and got behind his charity for instance Kevin Sinfield has just finished seven marathons in seven days in a week yeah. madness Read two million pounds guys from Yorkshire guys in the rugby league community like around the world like giving their support it's two million and counting like I was part of the band's big lift for a club member who died for Covid and we was found with one million kilos we did seven and a half million in the end raised I think it was nearly 300 grand in the end from a 50 grand target we had to run five nominate five donate five thing that we're all doing and there's been loads of different challenges like that and honestly like it's it's easy to forget because so much fuckery happens but at the end of the day when people were just worried and concerned about their own well-being and the well-being of those around us that's when people stood up and then that's when we started to care about each other and think about each other so i want to say big up to everyone and just remember how good we were when when things were stripped back and we were just concerned about surviving the three of you have made me feel all right to act now. I thought that. My favourite moment was somebody else's downfall. So <laughs> I'm going to revise it. My favourite moment will be hugging up my mum and my brother on Christmas morning. Um, and I also got a girlfriend. Shout out Yana. Doing a thing. Treading the boards up in Chester at the moment. So it's not all been cynicism. So I, we, this is probably, probably going to be the final pod of 2020. Probably because... You know, you never know for sure. So, unfortunately, Nate's not here with us. I just, I want to say thank you to Dom and to Alana and to Angelo and to Nate and to uh, Neef who came on and was absolutely amazing as our first guest. And to I think Kofi was on one this year, one of the early ones. And we've we've just like. It has been, I think we said on these, that after the first pod we did after George Floyd died, was killed. It was, it's been like therapy for me at times. And it's, it's refreshing to know that I can come and record or I can just come and talk to you guys and I get to speak yeah. to people. And I think it's taught, it's taught me a lot about myself and it's taught people and my friends out there a lot about me. And I think we're doing vital things, guys. So thank you all. No, thank you. Thank you. thank you for steering the ship nicely as well. Yeah, I ain't got nothing to add to that. Yeah, ditto. Well, I just, yeah, next year, we're going to get better. I ain't going to say no more. I ain't going to say it no more. Y'all, y'all, y'all finished or y'all done? <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we will see you in 2021. We out. Peace. Bye.